Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Good to be in worship with you. Uh, man, I, I'm excited about today. Um, I, I know it's going to be, I know God has some good things planned when there's all kinds of disasters leading up to a Sunday. Um, and that's just been one of those weeks. Um, and then when I saw that it was going to rain today, I went, oh yeah, God, God's got something special planned. Um, because whenever God has something special planned, Satan does all kinds of things to keep people away. Um, and that's just the reality of how it works. And so, but I'm glad you're here. I believe uh, that the Lord has a word for us today. I'm excited to dive into Exodus 16 in a little bit. If you're a guest with us, I'm glad you're here. Um, if you're a regular with us, glad you're here. And if you're connecting with us online uh, through YouTube or Facebook, we are thankful for this technology that keeps us connected and uh, just look forward to seeing you when you can be here in person. So we are in the fifth week of this series just called The Map, um, and we're looking at this journey of God's people 3,400 years ago, and we're discovering that it's not just a story about kind of interesting history, but it truly is our story. It truly is in the Bible, uh, it's in Scripture, to help us understand our own journey, to help us understand the mile markers on our own journey and how we can navigate that, how we can learn from that. And so we spent the first three weeks really focusing on how to get out of Egypt. And uh, if you are here, <clears throat> if you're watching online and you have never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, then you're still in Egypt. If you've never said, Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? Will you deliver me from the slavery to sin? Then you're in Egypt. And we focused the first three weeks on how do we get out of Egypt? What does it look like to get out of Egypt to kind of cross that Red Sea and get freed from slavery? And then last week, we kind of started uh, what is going to be the next section of this series, and that's just focusing in on Desert University. Uh, because when you get out of Egypt, you're not quite into Canaan. You're not, you know, you're, you're delivered from slavery, but you're not where you want to be. God said, I'm going to bring you out so that I can bring you in. And <clears throat> the problem is, as most of us get out of slavery, we cross the Red Sea and we go, where's the milk and honey? Why, why isn't it so perfect yet? Where, where's, all the good, where's all the good land and all the... And God says, well, not so fast. There's this in-between time where you're out of Egypt, but I need to work on getting Egypt out of you. And so that's kind of where we're at. We're in the second week of this. And uh, this week I've been reading this book called Lessons from the Hanoi Hilton. Now, uh, if you're not familiar, um, I, being in the military, I assume everybody knows what the Hanoi Hilton is, uh, but if you don't have a military background, what you need to know is the Hanoi Hilton is uh, one of the worst POW camps in Vietnam. It was one of the longest standing POW camps during the Vietnam War, uh, and there were hundreds of uh, military members that were housed in the Hanoi Hilton for quite some time. And so um, I've been reading this book uh, for several reasons, but um, part of the reason I'm reading it is, is last week we talked about what does it look like to be in the desert? What does it look like to be in a really awful, difficult, bitter place? And how can God take those bitter experiences and make them sweet? We talked a lot about that last week. And this week, we're going to talk about what, is it, what does it look like uh, to, to be hungry in a desert? Two, two million people in the middle of one of the most desolate places on the planet Earth, and they're starving to death. 
What, how does God redeem that? What, what do you do when you're in that kind of difficult place? And, and what's interesting about the Hanoi Hilton is that uh, when these military members came back from the Hanoi Hilton, uh, very few of them uh, had PTSD. Uh, and when you, when you imagine the kind of trauma that they faced while they were there to, to not come back with some kind of post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, what was it about the culture that was created amongst those POWs that enabled them to go through that kind of trauma and come back and, and live not only um, okay lives, but live extremely successful, thriving lives? In fact, just so you know, out of the group of POWs that came out of the Hanoi Hilton, there were 16 generals, six admirals, and they weren't this, they, they weren't this at the time, but they later became 16 generals, six admirals, two college presidents, two U.S. ambassadors, two U.S. senators, two U.S. representatives, a state governor, and a presidential candidate, and much more. What was it about that difficult place in that POW camp in the Hanoi Hilton that somehow literally became one of the greatest leadership schools of all time. What was it about that completely difficult place that enabled uh, these men to become some of the greatest leaders our nation has had? Um, and, and what I would suggest to you today, uh, and the book points to a little bit, um, is this. It's in your notes, and I hope you're taking some notes today. Uh, if you're not a note taker, today's a great day to start, all right? I say that every week. One of these days, some of you are going to start. Uh, it's just... You know, I just keep praying. Um, here it is. Uh, you can't choose what happens to you, but you can choose how to respond. This is one of the significant uh, things that came out of these POWs um, in, in the Hanoi Hilton. Uh, it's one of the things that Scripture teaches us. It's one of the things that uh, Exodus chapter 16, you, you cannot choose what happens to you. There's going to be difficult moments. There's going to be painful places. There's going to be hardships and trials. You can't choose those things, but you can choose how you respond. And particularly as people of faith, we can choose whether we go through that by ourselves or we can choose to say, God, I'm going to lean on your strength and I'm going to lean on your presence. And we know that God says, even when you walk through the deepest, darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, don't fear for I will go with you. And, and so we have the presence of God with us, even in the midst of the worst situations. And so uh, today is a kind of welcome to Desert University part two. All right. So uh, there's a, you, you thought it was bad last week with the bitter water. It's about to get worse because there's two million people in the middle of one of the most desolate places on the planet earth and they have no food and they're starving to death. And what in the world is going to happen? And so, <clears throat> um, you are what you eat. Um, I, really, I, I titled the sermon, You Are What You Eat. Um, and in your notes, you can just write this down. The Bible is a food-driven book. The, the Bible is a food-driven book. So, original sin entered the world because there was a desire to eat forbidden fruit. Let me just think about that. It, it all started uh, because Eve had her appetites on the wrong thing, and Adam had his appetites on the wrong thing. Sin came into the world through food. And likewise, 
salvation comes into the world. Listen to it. Well, Genesis 3, 6 says this. The woman was convinced she saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. So there's kind of the, the, the fall of humanity, the, the sin that entered the world came through food. Um, and likewise, salvation um, comes through, Scripture tells us, uh, Jesus says, through eating the, the body of Christ, that, that it, is, it is having Christ in him. Jesus um, really makes a lot of references to this. Um, in fact, in John chapter 6, I know I told you in my text message, hey, read Exodus 16. Um, you know, if I would have pushed my luck, I would have said read Exodus 16 and John chapter 6. But you can do that this week, all right? So, but John chapter 6 is really this parallel passage to Exodus 16. Jesus, in John chapter 6, feeds 5,000 hungry people. And after he feeds 5,000 hungry people, he preaches a sermon, which if there was a title to that sermon, uh, the sermon title would have been, I am the bread of life. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 48, yes, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 49 through 51, Jesus goes on, he says, your ancestors, pointing back to Exodus 16, ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. And Jesus is pointing, hey, if you take me into your life, you'll, you'll never die. You'll have eternity life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, Jesus says. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. And so uh, Jesus was speaking metaphorically here. But, but he's pointing back to how the manna came down from heaven. And it fed the Israelites. Um, and it gave them nourishment. And he's saying, hey, but... But I'm the bread of life. I came down from heaven, and, it, and if you take me in, you'll live forever. I mean, so, so it, really, there's just this food theme throughout Scripture. Um, there is a, a garden, Revelation says, um, at, at the end, there's going to be a garden, and there's going to be the tree of life, and we're going to be able to eat from it, and there's all these good things. So there's just this food theme. One of the things that we believe as Christians is when we die, we're not going to be wispy clouds or wispy spirits kind of playing harps floating around in the clouds, that we're going to have physical resurrected bodies and we're going to be able to eat some food. Can someone say amen? Um, it's going to be good. And there's no calories in heaven. Um, so you can eat whatever you want all the time. It's like a cruise ship forever. Um, it's going to be awesome with no calories. Um, and so, you know, there's just... There's so many themes of, of appetites in Scripture. Um, and so in your notes... Uh, you can just see this. Salvation hinges on one simple question. Is my appetite stronger for the meat pots and leeks and onions and garlic and melons of Egypt or for the milk and honey of Canaan? What, what are your appetites driving you to? And, and your appetites, and I'll just say this, your appetites will tell you which direction your journey is going. Just analyze your appetites a little bit what what are you craving what are you pursuing what are you chasing after and it'll tell you whether you are headed back towards Egypt or whether you were headed towards freedom in Canaan 
watch your appetites and your appetites will let you know what direction you're headed and and here's the thing if if you're in the in-between period if you're in the desert if you're out of Egypt but you're not quite into Canaan you're not into that victorious Christian living you're not into this fruitful where you're experiencing the fruit of the spirit in your life love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control and and that's the the characteristics of your life if you're out of Egypt, but you're not quite there. The, the whole nature of, of, of doing a lapse in the wilderness, what we're going to see for the people of Israel, is the people of Israel would say, well, I want the milk and honey of Canaan. Oh, never mind. I think I want the leeks and onions of Egypt. Oh, never mind. I think I want the milk and honey of Canaan. Oh, never mind. I want the... And, and so what do they do? They do circles in the wilderness for 40 years. And there are Christians that allow their appetite they just can't make up their mind I, I think i want this no no no. i think i want that i think i want this no i think i want that and and we find ourselves just doing laps in the wilderness over and over and over and over and so what you are hungry for what you're craving what your appetites are will really give you some clues towards which direction your journey is headed listen to what psalm 63 1 says Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. There's just this yearning, this craving for God, for Canaan, for the, for the spiritual nourishment of God. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2 says this, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take of your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good and you will enjoy the finest foods. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 says this, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied. In your notes, you can write this down. Though the Hebrews have gotten out of Egypt, they still have Egyptian appetites. And that's part of the problem. That, that's their struggle. That's their challenge. And, and I'm just telling you, that's some, of, that's some of the challenges of a lot of Christians in America today and, and around the world that that we ask Jesus to be Lord of our life. We ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We get out of Egypt but we haven't yet had our appetites changed. And, and so what do you do? What do you do if you're out there or you're online and you're going, but I do kind of like leeks and onions. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, I, I hate to admit that I hate it, but in my heart of hearts, I know that there are just times I, I really do want the melons of Egypt and the leeks and onions of Egypt. What, how, how do you change your appetites. What, what do you do about that? And, and when you start asking those questions, you're asking really good questions. When you start asking those questions, you're asking questions that God ultimately is the only one who can answer for you. Uh, but here's what I want you to know. It is possible to have your appetites changed, but it might be harder and it might take longer than you think or than you want. Um, and, and oftentimes, you got to go through a desert and you got to eat a bland food like manna for 40 years, um, or hopefully for less for you, uh, for God to cleanse your palate, because that's exactly what happens with the manna. God gives them a bland diet, 
to cleanse their palate to get them to crave something different than what they had craved in the past. And so um, Exodus chapter 16 is where we're at. So if you have your Bibles, um, I'd love for you to turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 16. And we are going to read almost this entire chapter. Um, So um, here we go. We're going to dive in. In fact, let me pray before we read uh, this and just ask that the Lord would move me out of the way and that we would hear from him and not me this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your presence, your Holy Spirit that is here among us, not because of this building, because your people have gathered. Lord, we thank you that your word is alive and it's active and it can cut through the the hardness of our hearts and it can cut through all kinds of things. And I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that your word would speak clearly to us. I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that we would be receptive to all that you would want to say. Open us up, Lord, so that we would be a people that would hear. We give you permission to speak in these moments. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Exodus chapter 16. Then the whole community of Israel, so this is after they have left Elam, which was this uh, 12 springs with 70 palm trees, and uh, just that, you know, it, it was a great place. But then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam, this beautiful place, the palm springs of the Sinai Peninsula. I added that. That's not in the Bible. If you follow along, all right. Uh, the journey into the wilderness and journeyed into the wilderness of sin. Now, some of you, you'll have a footnote in your Bible next to the wilderness of sin. That does not mean anything about sin, like sinning, like doing wrong things. It's actually referring to uh, the uh, Mount Sinai, which is where they're headed, and so it's it's a reference to Mount Sinai, not to uh, sinning and doing wrong. But they headed into the wilderness of sin between. Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. And so one month after they crossed over, and so they they went to the bitter place, they went to Marah, and then they camped at Elam, and then they made the journey, uh, and here they are on the journey. Uh, There, there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. And if you have your Bibles... Um, I would love for you to underline in your Bible everywhere where you see the word complained, or if you're reading the NIV, it'll say grumbled. Um, There'll be all kinds of, whatever translation you're reading, there might be some different things, but I'd love for you to underline, and it's okay, God won't get mad at you if you underline in your Bible. It's uh, treat it like a a textbook for life, but they complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they will gather food. When they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. And so Jesus was, or God was teaching them, hey, don't work on the Sabbath. 
He was teaching them a six-day work week. And you wonder, hey, where's this whole idea of a six-day work week? Um, God was teaching his people, listen, I want you to work six days and I want you to rest one day. Do you think, just side note, do you think as slaves in Egypt, they got a day off? No. They, they spent uh, generations not even knowing what a day off was. You worked every day, you worked all day. There, there was no rest. And God says, no, I'm going to teach you. You work six days, and then you rest on one day. And um, he, he was teaching them. And, and over and over, you'll see this. Um, if you read the book of Joshua, you'll read that when they go into the land, it was a land of rest. And it was called the land of rest. And they were going into this land of rest. And, and so there's this idea that God's really trying to teach people, you need to rest. Some of us need to hear this. God wants us to stop work one day a week. And, and, and the, the nature of us is to say, well, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. It's, it's up to me. No, it's not. God says it's up to me. I'm the one who's going to provide for you. I'm the one who's going to meet your needs. I'll nourish you. I want you to work for six days, and I want you to stop, and I want you to rest one day a week. All right, that's another sermon. We'll keep going. Verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. What have we done that you should complain about us? And then Moses added, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Now, they weren't complaining against the Lord. They were complaining against Moses. But he says, hey, you think you're complaining against me, but really, you're complaining against the Lord. Anytime you're complaining, God says, uh, that's, that's complaining against me. <clears throat> and so then it goes on. It says, then Moses said to Aaron, announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out towards the wilderness, and there they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have the bread that you want, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 13. And that evening, vast numbers of quail flew in, and covered the camp. And we're going to talk more about quail when we get to Numbers chapter 11, but that's another week. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. And when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. And the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. And each family had just what it needed. And then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. 
And but, but by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. And after this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to his needs. And as the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. And then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. And he told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. And Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord, and there will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, and there will be no food on the ground that day. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day. I'm, doesn't this just sound like us, right? I mean, God says, I want you to rest one day, but God, I've got to work seven days a week. And God says, no, you don't, but, but I'm going to. Uh, <clears throat> some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. And so this is, this is an interesting lesson. If you choose to work seven days a week, God says, I will bless your work six days a week, but on the seventh day, I won't bless that work. You're working on your own. You're, you're working in, in, in contrast to what I'm asking you to do, that, that ultimately uh, there will be no blessing uh, on, on the work and the efforts that you do. The Lord asked Moses in verse 28, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you two-day supply on the sixth day so that there will be enough for two days on the Sabbath day. You must each stay in your place. Do not go out and pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. And the Israelites called the food manna. It was white like coriander seed, and it tasted like honey. This is God's word, and we are thankful for it. In the last section of Exodus chapter 16, uh, Moses gives instructions to the people and says, hey, I, I want you to take, uh, take a, a jar of this and put it in the Ark of the Covenant next to the Ten Commandments to remember the food that came down from heaven that God has given you, and never forget <clears throat> how God has given you strength and, and met your needs uh, each day. And so... Um, in your notes, you can just uh, write this down. There's so many things we could talk about on this. We're going to focus on complaining. Um, <clears throat> and we're going to talk about getting hangry. Um, so um, the word complain or grumble, uh, depending on your translation, occurs uh, seven or eight times in this chapter. It is, it's a major theme, not just in this chapter, uh, but it's a major theme throughout the journey of the people of God in the desert. And and what's interesting, what we see in this um, is that complaining is a deadly sin. Now, if you were to ask people, hey, what are the seven deadly sins? Nobody would say complaining, grumbling, 
Um, you know, like that's, that's one of the chief sins that, you know, nobody says that one, but according to scripture and according to what we see in here, um, complaining and grumbling, uh, is one of the, the deadly sins, uh, that, that can cause all kinds of difficulty in your life. It, it poisons your health. It destroys relationships. It quenches the spirit. It extinguishes faith. It keeps us doing laps in the wilderness forever and com- a complaining heart and a grumbling heart will keep you out of Canaan. You need to know that. If you've got, remember we talked last week about how the bitter experiences, if you don't allow Jesus to turn those bitter experiences sweet, that those bitter experiences can turn you into a bitter person. And then once you have that bitter spirit and once you have that complaining spirit, you'll never get in to this fruitful land where you're living out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You'll, you'll never bear the fruit of the spirit if, if the nature of your character is grumbling and complaining and murmuring. In fact, um, <clears throat> two million hungry people, I, you know, in our family... We, we talk about this a lot uh, uh, because whenever we get really hungry, um, we get hangry. Uh, I don't know if you get hangry in your family when you get hungry, but there's just sometimes Melanie's like, go eat something. Um, you know, just go get a snack and then, and then we'll keep this conversation going, right? Um, that, that, you know, when, when you're hungry, you just get a little bit shorter. Um, you, you get um, hangry when you're hungry and that's exactly what's happening. You've got two million hungry people in the desert. Can you imagine the complaining that was going on? You've got two million people that are starving in one of the worst environments of the world and they're walking in this heat and they're cold at night. And I mean, you, you think there's complaining that sometimes happens uh, around you, but just imagine the kind of complaining that was going on, the murmuring. And, and what we see um, is uh, in this passage um, that somehow this complaining, this grumbling um, was, was seen by God is complaining against him. Uh, I'll just say in churches, when, when churches become places of grumbling and complaining, it's usually because the sheep are not eating well. Um, and, and we're going to talk a lot about that uh, today. But in, in your notes, or actually it's not in your notes, but it's on the screen, complaining or grumbling or murmuring griping or belly aching is a condition that is based on the false assumption that my inner happiness is determined by my outward circumstances. And I'm just telling you, according to scripture, that is not the case. According to scripture, God says that it has nothing to do with our outward circumstance, but it actually has something to do with the condition of our heart. The condition of our heart is what causes us to be complaining, murmuring, grumbling people or people that somehow, as the Apostle Paul in the midst of a prison cell can say, I have found the secret of being content, right? Um, what is the difference? Um, it's not the conditions, but it is the, the condi- it's not the conditions you're in, but it's the condition of your heart. Uh, complaining and grumbling is a condition that uh, says to us, it's that we believe I deserve better than this. Whenever somebody's complaining or grumbling, you can believe that somewhere deep down in their soul, they're like, I deserve better than this. There, there's, there's this something that says, like, I, I shouldn't have to face this. I shouldn't have to go through this. I deserve better than this. Um, complaining is because we believe I deserve better than this. Um, our complaining may be aimed against leaders and spouses and neighbors and adversaries and politicians. And, like, you can just keep on going on with the list. But in reality, all complaining, according to Exodus 16, 8, 
is against the Lord. Why? Because God says, I'm the one who ultimately is providing for you. I'm the one who ultimately has put leaders over you. I'm the one who has given you these systems. I've, and, and whenever we're complaining, God says, you're complaining against me. You think you're complaining against these other people? No, you're complaining against me. Um, and then we need to know this, complaining is contagious. It is contagious. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says this to us. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. It's interesting. Again, it's pointing back to what we talked about last week, this bitter experiences making our heart bitter. When your heart becomes bitter, and, and what we need to know is, is the bitterness in our heart is contagious. And according to Hebrews 12, 15, it can actually corrupt many. It's kind of, we heard this, right, when we were kids, right? One bad apple spoils, right, the bunch. One, um, it's so true. There's, there's just this something about when we've got a grumbling, complaining spirit, what'll happen is other people will start grumbling and complaining. If you're grumbling and complaining around your kids, guess what? Your kids are going to be grumbling and complaining. And then you're upset that your kids are grumbling and complaining. Why are they doing it? Because you're modeling it well for them, uh, and, and you're, you're demonstrating well. And so um, we, we just need to know that it is contagious. Uh, and God says, hey, I don't want this for you. Now, um, we're going to talk about how it is curable. It, it is a, a curable problem, but it takes some time. It takes some time. So, uh, okay, all that was introduction. Um, and now we're going to get into the sermon. All right, so none of that time counts against the sermon. All right, so... Uh, so um, what I want to do, what I want to do is I want to give you a six-point sermon. Uh, in your notes, uh, you'll see three point, or, uh, four points, and then there's a five and a six. It's actually just a six-point sermon. Um, and in, I'm going to give it to you in the form of a test, all right? Uh, so this is, this is just, um, uh, we've been talking about tests. We talk about how God tests us. Last week, we talked about why does a teacher give tests. A teacher gives tests to find out what's in your mind, to find out what's in your heart. It's not because they're vindictive, evil people. Um, uh, but I want to give you a test. So here we go. Uh, we're going to take a six-question test. Um, and, and here's what I want you to do as we dive into this. Um, that, that God leads us into Desert University uh, because he wants to teach us some really important lessons. He, he wants to teach us um, some things that are going to be really important. When we get into Canaan and there are giants to fight, we need to learn some lessons. And so God says, I love you so much. I want to teach you these lessons so that you'll be prepared and you'll be ready when you get to Canaan and you'll be successful and you'll be able to live that victorious life um, and, and that fruitful life that I desire for you. And so, um, and if, if you need to go through some scarcity and if you need to go through some hunger to prepare you well for those battles, I'm willing to allow you to go through that because I love you so much and I care so much about where you're headed that I'm willing to let you go through some of that hunger so that you can experience something better later. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 says it this way. And, you, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. 
And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. And as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. And whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father. And if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly father disciplines us for a few years, doing the best, uh, doing the best that they know how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. We don't like the desert, but sometimes we got to go through the desert so that we can experience Canaan. We just need to know that. We need to know that. And it's not because God's mad at us. And it's not because you took a wrong turn. It's, it's because God says, I've got something better for you. And this is going to prepare you for the place that I'm leading you. So here it is. Here's the test. Number one, are you spiritually hangry? Um, yes or no? Now, you could circle one. Uh, and uh, don't let the person next to you see what you're circling if you want to keep it to yourself. But are you spiritually hangry? Yes or no? If you answered yes... Uh, just think about what are your symptoms? What are your symptoms? Are, are you pouting or are you shouting? Are, are you the kind of person that's yelling all the time? Or are you the kind of person that's just quietly simmering? What does it look like for you to be spiritually hangry? What, is, what does it look like? And what's interesting about this um, is according to Exodus 16... Whenever we're hangry, whenever we're uh, doing what Exodus 16 just talks so much about, complaining, 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 or NIV, grumbling and grumbling and grumbling, there's a deeper problem going on. Uh, the, the surface problem was, I'm hungry. The deeper problem was uh, that there was this grumbling spirit, that there was something wrong with their heart that was just coming out as grumbling and complaining. And so we just need to know that although it's not obvious, if you find that you've got a grumbling, complaining heart, it's probably because you're spiritually hungry in some way. You just need to recognize that. You need to know that. Um, and number two, this is the next question for you. Uh, what are you hungry for? Circle one. Leeks and onions and garlic, the food of this world, when, when you think about your appetites, are your appetites, are you hungering for the things of God more, or are you hungering for the things of the world more, um, or the milk and honey, the bread of heaven? What, which, which, are your, which way are your appetites leading you? I'm, I'm just telling you, if you study your appetites, you will know which direction your journey is headed. Are you headed back to Egypt? Or are you headed towards Canaan? Your appetites will give you some clues to which way you're headed. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 2 says this, Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good and you will enjoy the finest food. That God says, hey, I've got, I've got good spiritual food for you. Um, and, and too many of us are chasing food over here. The, the real problem is not that we're hungry. 
The real problem is, is that we're hungering after the wrong things. And we've got to allow God to change our appetites. Uh, leeks and onions will keep your body alive, but it can send your soul to a place that is completely separated from God. It, it, it'll, it'll sustain you for a time, but not for eternity. And we just need to know that. Um, John Piper, in, in a book called uh, Hunger for God, says this, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. And think about this for a minute. The, the problem with junk food isn't that it's junk. That, that is a problem, right? Junk food's bad because it's junk, right? But the real problem with junk food is it spoils your appetite for nourishing good food, right? This is, this is what moms all over the world have said. Don't eat that. We're about to eat dinner, and that'll spoil your appetite, right? Uh, and, and so we get this with junk food, but the problem is, is too many of us are filling our lives with spiritual junk food. And, and you should just kind of spend some time and think about what is the spiritual junk food that you're constantly consuming that is spoiling your appetite for real nourishment, the, the things of God that he would have for you. Um, the, the problem with junk food is that it spoils our appetite for the real nourishing food that God has for us. And so there's, whether it's worldly entertainment, whether it's mindless entertainment, whether it's meaningless conversations, what are the things that are, you're, you're filling yourself with that are not the things of God, that are spoiling your appetite for the things of God? And so um, imagine manna every day, a bland diet for these people uh, every day for 40 years eating some bland manna where God was saying, I'm, I'm going to prepare your palates for something better, these, this milk and honey. And um, when, when we go hiking on the Appalachian Trail, um, people who hike the Appalachian Trail, you should know this, don't cook five-star gourmet meals every night on the Appalachian Trail. It's, that's not how it rolls, right? You, you bring Raymond noodle, noodles, okay, uh, because they're super light, and they'll give you some strength, and they got a lot of calories. You, you bring, you know, there, there's, you look for how many calories can I pack into the lightest possible weight. You're looking for trail food. You're not looking for something that's really heavy and delicious and good. You're just looking for food that will give you strength for the journey. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, uh, you're looking for Limbus bread, all right? You're, you're looking for that kind of, uh, the, the wafers that are really light and it's travel food, but somehow one bite of it will give you the strength to go really far and, 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 and make the journey. So number three, uh, have you learned to feed yourself? And we're, we're speaking metaphorically here, all right? Spiritually to feed yourself, yes or no? In the desert, God provided the bread from heaven, but the people every morning had to open their flap and go out and collect it. God didn't put it in the jars for them. He provided the food, but they had to go out and they actually had to collect it and receive it. There, there, was, there was some things that they had to do to feed themselves. And, and I'll just say this, um, Christians, and, and if you've been in church for any time, you have heard someone say this, and if you've been in church for any time, you might have said this. But there's probably been a point where you've heard it said or you've said it yourself, well, I'm just not getting fed at my church. I'm just not getting fed by the pastor. I'm just not getting fed in that environment. And I'll just say this, when, when anyone says that, they're just testifying to their own spiritual immaturity. Because according to Scripture, we need to learn to feed ourselves. 
According to Scripture, we, we, we shouldn't show up and say, feed me, feed me. That's what babies do, right? If you've got a baby, the baby's up. Ah, you know, open up. You know, here it is. Uh, I'm going to give you enough strength to make it through the week, and then hopefully you'll come back and get fed some more. No, that's, that's baby talk. In, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, it says this. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And so there's just this, uh, if you haven't been through step two of the journey, next week is step two of the journey. And all, what we focus on a lot is how can you be someone, we don't want to give you a fish every week, we want to teach you how to fish. How can you know uh, how to read the Bible? How can you study the Bible? How, what translation, you know, is, are good translations? And there's a lot of good ones. Um, what, you know, what can you do? And so we want to teach you to feed yourself. Because, again, God provided the manna, but the people had to open their flap and go out and collect it. And God expects us to do some things to feed our souls. And so, number four, when do you eat? Circle one. Daily, weekly, monthly, I'm already dead. Which one is it? <laughs> it's, uh, there's probably one of those. Um, when, when do you eat? And we're, we're talking spiritual food, okay? We're, we're talking the, the words of God. Um, not... We're not talking, uh, the, you know, fleshly food, but, but this, is, this is the word of God that feeds our soul. When do you eat? Manna was given daily. This is really important, that manna was given every single day to give them strength and to give them nourishment for the journey. And unless you learn to eat every day, you can, a traveler can go for a few days without food. A traveler can go... A week maybe a few weeks without food but if a traveler never eats sooner or later that journey is going to end sooner or later they're not going to be able to have the strength to stay on the journey if they're never eating any food if there's no nutrients and there's no sustenance coming their way and so we need to be in God's Word every day not because it's a spiritual box to check not because it's like, a, oh, you know, like, I, I, I got to read the Bible because, you know, I, I need to do this or I should do this or, or you know, it, it's, it's because we need daily nourishment. We need spiritual food for our journey. And the problem is, and just think about that, uh, the, the picture of junk food ruining our appetite for real food. You think about how many things ruin our appetites for actually spending time reading. Think about how much time we spend in, in just all kinds of forms of entertainment and busyness and on screens that, that pull us away from the one thing that truly can give us strength and nourishment for this journey into Canaan. And then we wonder, why am I doing laps in the wilderness? Why am I wandering around in the wilderness? Why, why, because I don't even have the strength to make the journey. Because I'm not consuming the right spiritual food to get me to where I need to go. And so, it's a hard journey. It, it's, it, it is, I'll just say this, it's easy to get out of Egypt. You just ask Jesus to be Lord of your life and to forgive you of your sins. 
It's not hard to get out of Egypt. Jesus did all the work for us. But I'm telling you, if you want to get out of the wilderness and you want to get into Canaan, there's some work to be done. You've got to open the tent flap every morning and you've got to go collect some manna because you need strength for the journey. And you can't do it in your own strength. And you can't do it in your own power. And that's one of the lessons that we learn in the wilderness so that when we get to the battle of Jericho, we can realize, oh, it's not up to me to defeat the giants. It's not up to me to defeat the great city. God's got this. It's, it's actually his strength that's going to do it. It's not my strength, it's his strength. But we've got to learn that in the wilderness as we eat the manna every single day. All right, number five, keep going. Do you have a spiritual eating disorder? Yes or no? Just think about some of these eating disorders. Anorexia, I don't eat at all, but I keep this a secret. Bulimia, I binge, I, I consume. I'm in every Bible study that's ever been offered. I, I'm, I, I, I spend all day watching religious TV. Uh, I binge and then I purge. I binge and then I purge. Um, I'm just consuming a lot, but it's not really getting into me because it's just going in this year and it's going out the other and I'm moving on to the next thing. Um, obesity, I overeat and I don't exercise. I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm, I, you, these are people that you know the Bible left and right. You have consumed and consumed church and Bible and spiritual knowledge, but you are not serving. You don't have any relationships with people who are far from Jesus where you're doing what Jesus told you, helping lead them towards a relationship with God, that, that you're just really spiritually fat, but you're not exercising, doing the things that Jesus tells us to do. I know this is like, whoo, like... Um, it's a lot of quiet, stoic faces out there. I'm not mean. I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm reading this. I'm like, my goodness, this has been my story. You need to know this. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm preparing for this message. I'm like, my goodness, I've lived this. I've experienced this. I've done this. I, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying this is so easy for us to fall into this. It's so easy for us to get into this place. And God says, I want to get you out of that place and I want to get you to a better place. And there's some things you just got to do differently to get out of those places. Other common signs of eating disorder, skipping meals, obsessing about how one looks. I know nobody's ever uh, been there spiritually. Uh, overeating to the point of sickness, excessive exercising. That's kind of the Martha, right? Just all the time doing, doing, doing things for God but you're never spending time with God. All the time doing, doing, doing things for church and, and religious things and activity, but you're never really connecting in relation with your heavenly Father. All right, last one. Who is your trust in? Who is your trust in? This is one of the great lessons that the people of God learned in Exodus chapter 16. Is your trust in yourself? Is your trust in Moses or the government? If you select that one, we'll have a separate conversation uh, later. But I'll just say, um, here's, here's how you can know if your trust is in Moses or the government. If you're looking towards November and all of your hopes that everything is going to be okay or everything is going to be a catastrophe based on what happens in November. I'm telling you, if, if you're thinking that, your hope is in the government and your hope is in Moses and it's not in God. It's going to be okay. I just like no matter who you're rooting for, no matter what happens in November, it's going to be okay. Guess what? Cuz God's still on the throne. 
God's still on the throne. And, and it doesn't matter who's in leadership. What matters is that our God is good and he's gracious and he reigns supreme no matter who sits in the Oval Office. And that's a, we're going to get more towards that as we get closer to November. But that's just a clue. Is your hope in the government? Is your hope in yourself? Is your hope in God? Or is your hope in something else like your 401k? Is your hope in something else like whatever that might be? Fill in the blank. Where is your hope? Part of the lesson of Exodus 16 is put your hope in me. God says, I'll sustain you. I'll provide for you. I'll give you manna every single day. I'll take care of you. I'm trustworthy. I'll meet your needs. Put your hope in me. Like a muscle, God strengthens faith by stretching it. You just need to know that. God strengthens our faith by stretching it. And a faith that has not been tested or stretched isn't much of faith at all. And we just need to know uh, it's in this desert period that God stretches our faith. He causes us to put our trust in him and he proves that he's faithful. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead in Canaan. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far, from, far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So let's pray together. And uh, my, my hope is, is that as you have taken that test, uh, God will help you reflect on that this week and maybe do some things differently. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we, we thank you. I, I thank you. I thank you for the lessons that you have taught me on, on, on how to get out of a wilderness, how to get out of a desert, how to, how to quit doing laps in the desert and begin experiencing your fruitful, abundant life. Lord, we, we long for that. We want that. Lord, we, we have seasons where we're in the desert. We have seasons where we go through difficult places. But Lord, there are, there are many in this room who can testify of your goodness and your faithfulness. And all that you have done to get us not just out of Egypt but to get us out of doing laps in the wilderness and get us into the place that you've Not that there aren't battles to be fought in Canaan, but Lord, we've learned that it's not our strength. It's not our power. It's not up to us. It is you who sustains us. It is you who gives us strength. And so Lord, I pray right now that you would just work in hearts. You know every story. You know every situation that's here. We give this time to you, Lord, as we, as we even sing some more songs, as we worship you, as we turn our attention fully to you, and we don't sing to one another, but we sing to you, Lord, I pray that you would just help us long for you to crave for you, that you would change our appetites. Some that are here today, Lord, some that are online that are, that are just appetites, and, and hungering after the things of this world, Lord, may you change their appetites. Will you change their hearts and their hungers for the things of you? And only you can do that, Lord. So we ask you to do that even this morning.
We pray that you would change our appetites. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.